All right, we're in Daniel chapter 9, and today we've reached down to verse number 26. The angel Gabriel is walking Daniel through the, the timeline, the prophetic timeline that the Jewish nation is to expect, and that is to make an end of their sins and to bring in the, and anoint the most holy, to have Jesus sitting on the throne in that earthly kingdom in the book of Matthew is called the kingdom of heaven, when heaven is on earth. And then last week in verse 25, we looked at a, a breakdown of seven weeks and 62 weeks, obviously making 69 weeks altogether. And today, verse 26, we're focusing what happens right at the end of that 69th week. It is a, let's say, a prophetic mile marker. And then the rest of verse 26, some people have called it an interval. Uh, this, what happens in verse 26, it, it skips about 2,000 years worth of history so far, and we're still moving on. We're, we're in verse 26 right now, waiting for verse 27 to happen. So in verse 27, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So in verse 25, we already have 69 weeks. At the end of the 69 weeks, we're going to cover today what, what to expect at that point, and then we have one week left. And we often call that Daniel's 70th week, which is the most biblical term for what you'll often hear me say, the tribulation. Many people use that term, the tribulation. And next, uh, next time when we cover verse 27, we'll give you more information about that tribulation time. Of all the events talked about in the Bible, that, verse 27, is the most talked about. You can take creation. You can take the, the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. You can take the cross and put it all together. It doesn't, it doesn't add up to the amount of emphasis and time and, and paper, space on the paper given to that particular space in history of, of those seven years. So it's worth taking our time. That's why we're going so slowly. But today, verse 26, it says, After three score and two weeks... Now, don't get too confused by that. After 62 weeks, yes, but in verse 25, there were seven weeks, then 62 weeks. I explained my best guess as to why that's broken into two separate parts, but this is at the end of those 69 weeks. After three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself? Now, as I tried to bring out last week, there's lots of conjecture as to the dates that you want to put to this. And when it says after three score and two weeks, how far after? A, a day after? A week? Three years? Three and a half years? Seven years? Thirty years? And you'd be surprised how many, how many different guesses there are out there. I, I am going to say that when it says after three score and two weeks, it has to be very shortly after. Because if you have the Messiah coming, and then there's 30 years of his life, or 33 years of his life, well, that's, that's a whole lot of extra years in there. If you have, some people say that the, uh, when Jesus was baptized, that's when he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And so that makes him the Messiah, which by the way, that's a false teaching. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ well before he was baptized, but that's how they present it. And they say, so his baptism, that was the end of the 69 weeks. And then there's three and a half years of his ministry. And then that ties into other things. I say after three score and two weeks messiah is cut off so they say the baptism happened then after three and a half years then he dies well that's a long time after 
In verse 27, watch what it says. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, seven years, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Now, we're going to get deeper into that explanation next week, but when the Bible wants to tell us about a three and a half year time period, it can, and it does. So to say that Jesus' baptism was a mile marker, and then there's three and a half years, and then he's cut off, I don't see that in verse 26. So when it says after three score and two, I'm going to say it's right after it. It's, it's the mile marker to say that 69 weeks that we've been discussing has now ended, and it ended there at the cross. After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. There's a lovely practical truth in that. We don't have to dig deep. We don't have to know, about, know a lot about prophecy. All you need to know is that Jesus died for you. I love that in the middle of all of this somewhat deep, tangled, complicated sometimes prophecy, which, by the way, it is complicated, but if you are a student of the Word and study to show yourself approved, it, it's, it's not impossible to understand this. You, under, you get what I'm saying? You just need to take some time and, and read through it and compare Scripture with Scripture. You can get it. But in the middle of all this deep and sometimes complicated stuff, there's this wonderful shining, practical, easy truth right there on the surface. The Messiah is going to die, but not for himself. I love that about the Lord. And guys, can I just wax practical with you for a minute? Sometimes life is going to get complicated. And sometimes life is going to be chaotic and stressful and anxious. And it's just chaos all around you. And you need to look for one of those anchoring truths one of those stabilizing truths that never changes, no matter how confused or down or chaotic you feel, you just grab onto that truth. And in this case, it's the cross. You just grab onto the cross and let it anchor you down. So I don't understand all this 62 and seven weeks and in the midst of the week in a covenant. And the, oh my goodness, all these guesses and dates. And oh, let me just hold on to the cross for a minute. <laughs> That's a wonderful place to be. Now, I do think, that you need to grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I think once you meet Jesus at the cross, that's where you met him, you should grow in your knowledge of him. If, if you're saved and for the next 20 years, all you know is that, well, Jesus died for me, at least I know that. Praise the Lord, that's a wonderful truth to hold on to, but come on now, let's grow. We, we need to start learning a, a, a more about Jesus. Isn't that what we sang? More about Jesus would I know. But let's never forget that anchoring foundational truth that he was cut off, but not for himself. We sing a song, I am so glad that my Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the greatest that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. I, there's so many wonderful things in the Bible, but the dearest thing we see is that Jesus loved us enough to die for us. <clears throat> Messiah is going to be cut off. Do you realize that the vast majority of the Jewish nation missed that? They didn't see it. Hold your place here. Get Acts chapter 13. This is one thing that the Apostle Paul, whenever he would go to preach somewhere... And if you've read the book of Acts, you know this. He would go from town to town, and the first place he'd go was, was a synagogue. Jew first, also to the Greek. He'd stop off in that synagogue because, because he had a burden for his people. And he had to lay some groundwork. 
he couldn't step in and say, Jesus is the Messiah. He couldn't step in and say that. He first had to step in and say, the Messiah is going to look like this, 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 and straighten out their thinking about who and what and when and where, all the, all the qualities and characteristics of the Messiah. And then he could say, now, do you see how Jesus ticked all the boxes? But they didn't understand even what the Messiah was supposed to be. They missed a lot of it. Now, verse 27, Acts 13 and verse 27. Paul says in the synagogue here, for they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. What did they not know? The voices of the prophets that were read every Sabbath, but they missed some things. They did not see the Messiah as a suffering servant. They only knew him as the conquering king. Now, some of that is selective learning. You know, that we hear the parts we want to hear. And Israel wanted to hear that part about, yeah, we're going to rise up and be the chief nation on earth again, conquering king. But he's got to be cut off and not for himself. Now, look at Acts 17. <clears throat> Acts 17, verse 2. Now he's in a, a synagogue of the Jews, and in verse 2, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging. So he's putting forth a case that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. That was the point they'd missed. They didn't see that the Messiah, that's the Hebrew word for Christ, which is coming from the Greek word, they didn't see that Christ has to suffer and rise again. They missed that. So once he lays the groundwork of that, the end of verse 3, and that this Jesus whom I preached un, uh, preach unto you is Christ. You see how he had to make the argument in two parts. You guys don't understand the Messiah. Here's what Messiah is actually going to do and be. And here's all the prophecies. And by the way, Jesus fulfilled all of that. So come back to Daniel 9. Messiah says, shall be cut off, but not for himself. The big fancy word for this is vicarious. Vicarious. He died as a substitute. He was a substitute. He took our place. Let's never take that lightly. I illustrate this all the time. Whenever I'm out preaching to people on the streets, I, I hand them a tract and we get a go gospel conversation going. And, and often, you know, there's traffic moving about. And I'll tell them, listen, if you were to walk out into traffic, well, actually, I, I flip it around because I don't want to scare them. I, let, let me flip this around. If I'm walking off into traffic and I have headphones on, which a lot of people do, right? They're, we're just glued to our phones. We're zombies walking around with our phones. And, and, and you don't know that the, that the taxis and the cars are passing by. And bam, that car is coming right at you, about to hit you. And then, or let's say, I'm sorry, it's about to hit me, not you. You're in no danger. It's about to hit me. But then you rush out and boom, you push me out of the way. And I'm on the other side of the street. And now I'm safe. But that, that minibus taxi, bam, it hit you instead of hitting me. I said, now, how do you think I'm going to feel? I'm going to turn around and say, what? Oh, my goodness. That person whom I've never met just, just died for me. They just, they just got hit by that, but for me. Why would they do that for me? 
I said, that is exactly what Jesus did. Your sin was barreling down directly at you, about to hit you, take you out. And Jesus comes in and and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Take, Take me instead. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I read a story not long ago about a man who lived back in the 1800s. And he was out at a grave site and just standing at a grave. And somebody else walked by and said, did, did you know this person? And he said, let me, let me tell you how special this person is. I was, in, I was called into action to go into the Civil War. But I had other things going on at the time. And, and I had some family issues. And this person, who I didn't know, I never met him, he heard about my situation and said, let this man stay home. I'll go to the battlefield and fight in his place. So even though he was drafted, he didn't have to go and fight. So he said, this man died in that battle that I was assigned to. And he said, so I come here often just to remember that somebody died in my place. And often we should find ourselves at the foot of the cross, never letting, I know it's a simple truth. I know you've heard it a thousand times, but never let it grow old to you. I love to tell the old, old story, right? Because it just doesn't get old that somebody loved me enough to die for me. So when we get to heaven, you know, the first thing we're looking for is the, the lamb as it had been slain. Those, those nail prints, he didn't lose those nail prints where the spear went in. The scars are still there to, re, to remind us for all eternity. We are engraven upon the palms of his hands, it says. Zechariah chapter 13, what are these wounds in thine hands? What are these wounds in thine hands? Even in the kingdom, people are still asking, tell us about the wounds. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Our souls healed. All of our iniquities were laid on him. Not a small thing. In our passage, it's a prophetic mile marker. But in your particular personal life, that's your big day. That's the greatest thing that ever happened to you is that Jesus died for you. Now, that's the greatest day on our calendar. That Jesus died for us, right? Greatest day on God's calendar is not the cross, but rather Jesus coming back to rule and to reign. That's why you read the Bible, you have a lot of information about the cross, but a lot more about the second coming of Christ. Because that's the day that God's son comes back as king of kings, lord of lords. Not as He's not crowned with thorns, but crowned with many crowns. So I understand perfectly why the father would emphasize that day. Whereas... When Jesus goes to the cross, God, halfway through the time on the cross, Jesus was hanging there for six hours. Halfway through, God turned the lights off. Remember reading that? It, the sun just went dark. What, clouds covered it? Or, I don't know, maybe God just turned the dimmer switch. Said, uh, said that, that's my son down there. And I, I've seen enough. I, I can't watch this anymore. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But if that was your son, wouldn't that be hard to watch? Wouldn't that be a dark day? Maybe that was God just telling you, I I want you to see how I feel. I want you to get a visual on how I feel about this event. So verse 26, after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come 
shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So now we're going to start talking about events that will take place or have taken place after the cross. This particular phrase that we've just read, it has already happened. It has been fulfilled. But let, let me walk you through it slowly so that you can appreciate who and, and how. The people of the prince. The first thing we need to do is identify the prince. Once we identify the prince, that will allow us to identify who those people are. Okay, So we, we have to see them as connected. Now, the prince that shall come. This is, as far as I know, the only time the Antichrist is mentioned directly as a prince. There are many other times that he's talked about as a prince, but through types and allegories. This one time he's referred to as a prince. And let me show you why and walk you through this a little bit. Daniel 7, look at Daniel 7. He is the prince that shall come. The prince that shall come. So this particular man hasn't showed up yet. He's coming. And the mystery of iniquity already works. Right? The, there's unclean spirits that manifest themselves in the world, even now. But one day, Satan will be manifested in the flesh. So the mystery of iniquity doth already work. But one day, the, that wicked shall be revealed. But this prince that shall come, his people are already working. He has people that he's associated with. Daniel 7, verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth. All right, pause for a moment. That'll be the Roman Empire. Right, we've covered this already, so no need to re rehash it all, but that's Rome. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. So that the empire of Rome, it was a, a mighty empire in its day. It fell. In 476, it, it, it fell. But a few hundred years later, it did rise again. They called it the Holy Roman Empire, and it got hooked up with the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church. And to a certain extent, it still exists to this day in various forms. Okay? And a lot of conjecture can be made. They call this the revived Roman Empire. In Daniel 2, you might remember the long legs of iron. Yeah, those long legs, that's the Roman Empire. Then you get down to the feet, part of iron, part of clay. So there's a bit of the Roman Empire mixed in there. That's why we say revived Roman. It's not fully Roman Empire like it used to be, but there's part of it in there. And then you get 10 toes sticking. Oh, sorry, that's eight. <laughs> One, two, three. you get ten toes sticking out at the end, right? What are the ten toes? Verse 24. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. So this revived Roman Empire, it turns into a, a federation represented by ten different politicians. Read further. And another shall rise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. Verse 25, he shall speak great words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High, etc. That's the Antichrist, whom we call the Antichrist. That is the prince that shall come. Why do we call him the prince? What's a prince? A king in waiting. 
So he is waiting for these 10 kings to rise up, and then he is going to rise up, overtake three, and from that it springboards him to overtaking all 10. So it is a proper term to say prince. But look at Daniel 8, verse 23. Once this little horn rises up, yes, you can call him a prince because he's waiting to overtake, but then he deserves this title, verse 23, and in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. So now he's promoted, self-promotion, mind you, but he's gone from prince overtaking, now he is a king. All right, so Daniel 9, again, verse 26. So the prince that shall come, I believe we can comfortably say that we're talking about the Antichrist. It says, the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So if this prince is a product of the revived Roman Empire, then it's no stretch of the imagination to say the people of the prince are also Roman. But it, in, and that's how it worked in history. 33 AD, Jesus dies. 37 years later, in 70 AD, the Romans came down into Israel and destroyed, verse 26, they destroyed the city and the sanctuary. Do you remember Jesus giving this prophecy? Not one stone will be left upon another. It is the same event, 70 AD. And the Romans did come in, and they did not leave one stone upon another. They, there are various stories that go with it, but some say that the Roman soldiers were, were told that there's gold hidden under the walls, so that they, they literally picked up every brick and removed it looking for the, what the Jews had buried, perhaps buried treasure. Now, I don't know, maybe that's just one of those folk stories, those outro stories, I, I don't know, but... <laughs> Whatever the case is, whatever their motivation was, they didn't leave one stone unturned. Uh, hold your place here. Can I show you real quick Revelation chapter 11? You folks know that history has a, a way of repeating itself, right? You know that. The thing that has been is the thing that shall be, Solomon said. There's no new thing under the sun. So what the Romans did in 70 AD, destroying the city the way they did, and the sanctuary, because they did. They went into the temple and burned it down. There were Jews hiding in there. They just destroyed, decimated them, killed them, took some slaves. But <clears throat> that's going to happen again. That's going to repeat itself. But much, much worse in the tribulation time. Revelation 11, verse 2. But the court which is without the temple, leave out, measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. So I'm just going to let you keep that in the back of your mind. But for the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week, the Gentiles have control over that temple area. They will destroy the city and trod underfoot the sanctuary, the temple grounds, and all of that. So what happened in 70 AD is going to come back again, but in in much bigger fashion. Daniel 9 again, now verse 26. Let's keep moving here. The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. They did. And they will, they will again. It says at the end of the verse, and the end thereof. Now that's important. I would underline that if I were you. The end thereof. Here's what the Bible just did. It, it tells you when to jump forward. 
We don't have to, to guess. It's not just private interpretation. It just says, okay, we're talking about 69 weeks. Here's what's going to happen right at the end of that. At the end thereof. And then it tells you to jump forward. Look in Daniel 11. Let me show you how it does it one more time here. Verse 35. <clears throat> we'll give you all the details when we come to this. And who knows, maybe six or seven years we'll get to Daniel 11. <clears throat> Daniel 11 and verse 35. He's talking about what's happening back in the B.C. days. And then it jumps forward here in verse 35. And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white even to the time of the end because it is yet for a time appointed. You see, what you have up until this point, it's step by step, event by event, walking you through 334 B.C. up to 160-ish B.C., and it's impressive. But then it says, even to the time of the end, and it jumps you all the way out, and guess what you have in the next verse? 36 says, and the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods. Do you see the Antichrist in that? And shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. For that that is determined shall be done. So it jumps you out to the end. But the Bible tells you when to jump out to the end. Let's come back to Daniel 9 verse 26. People the prince that shall come. Shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war. Desolations are determined. All right, The word desolations means grief. A a desolation is a grief, a sadness, devastation, ruin. All of you can paint the mental picture from that. Just every bad thing you can imagine is going to be taking place. It says the end thereof shall be with a flood. I know what kind of flood. Are we talking like Noah's flood? Well, God promised never to destroy the world with that type of a flood again. Not not, not a global flood. Right? Not This is one way you know that Noah's flood was not a localized flood. It had to have been a global flood. Because God said, I'll never do that again. If it was a localized flood, God's one of the biggest liars ever. (laughs) Because there have been many floods since then. So it had to have been a global flood that took place. But is that what we're dealing with? Is that the flood? Well, let's, let's compare Scripture with Scripture. Get Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. And verse number 15. Now, if you need some sense of where you're at on the prophetical timeline, you can just look at the end of verse 14. A time, times, and half a time. Well, that puts you, that's three and a half years. All right, so you know where you're at. Verse 15, and the serpent, who's the serpent? Do we know the serpent? I hope you know the serpent, right? I, I hope you know who he is. Let's put it that way. That made it sound like I hope you're friends with him. I, <laughs> Can you home? I, I, not like that. That's a better way to say it, yes. Okay, the, the serpent, that's Satan. The serpent cast out of his mouth water. What's the next word? As a flood. What are those two little words you're supposed to look for in the Bible? Like and as. Every time, God's going to teach you something. Like and as. Right? He'll cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman now that woman 
is the nation of Israel. That's something when we cover the book of Revelation, we do it in Bible school. We have talked about it here before, but that's the nation of Israel. So he cast forth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. So you might remember a story in the Old Testament where Moses is, is called by God to lead the nation, but then some other men rise up, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, said, who made you so special? Why do you think you're so holy? We're just as holy as you are. And Moses said, all right, listen, calm down. Let's let God decide. You bring your censors, we'll bring our censors, you know. That's, that's, they didn't have lightsabers back then. That was, that was ancient lights. It brings censors with incense. And he says, now, if you die a common death, God didn't call me. But if God does something brand new and opens up the earth and swallows you alive, then we know that God called me. I mean, Moses, you realize this is not just like a, a, a coin flip. There you got a 50-50. This isn't a coin flip. The earth opening up? Okay. What are the odds? Well, <laughs> you don't want to bet against Moses. <laughs> and sure enough, the next day, here they come with 250 groupies coming out after them. I mean, smoke of incense blowing up everywhere. Smell like an Indian restaurant. And <laughs> out they come, and that earth starts to rumble, opens up, swallows up, done. So it's, it's been done before, but you're going to see it on a much grander scale. Now, take your Bible, come to Isaiah. Hold Daniel. You can let go of Revelation. Get Isaiah chapter 17. So Israel's enemies, they might want to just watch where they step because that earth might just open up at any moment. Isaiah 17, let's get verse 12. Now I have about, I don't know, a dozen verses on this. I'm just going to show you a couple of them. So when we read about the waters as a flood, I, I don't think we're reading about literal waters because it says as a flood. So it's like that. But you, you, when, you, when you talk about being flooded by something, some people are flooded by debt. They're flooded by this. You can be flooded by lots of stuff. It's just something overwhelming you, overcoming you, right? So you can describe it as a flood. But what are they overrun by? Isaiah 12, uh, 17, verse 12. Woe to the multitude of many people which make a noise like the noise of the seas and to the rushing of nations that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations shall rush like the rushing of many waters, but God shall rebuke them and they shall flee far off and shall be chased as the chaff of the mountains before the wind and like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. So in, in some cases, in the end, the enemies of Israel come against them to attack and God will do something, they run off. Then there's some other time, like we read in Revelation, where they come and it looks like they're about to get them and the earth just opens up, swallows them up. But the flood that the Antichrist appears to be sending is soldiers persecuting believers and persecuting Israel. And it's just coming one after another. Everywhere they look, somebody's trying to kill them. Look at chapter 59, Isaiah 59. God knows that the devil is going to do this. This is Revelation chapter 6. You read about the fifth seal. The fifth seal talks about a worldwide persecution. 
and millions and millions will die as a result of this aggressive act of the Antichrist. Isaiah 59 verse 19, he says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun when the enemy shall come in like a flood the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. So the enemy comes with his stronghold, and the Lord says, yeah, but I can also rebuff that. I, I, can, withstand, I can protect. I can do something, make you run. I can open the earth, swallow you up. Something to protect his people. You might remember that Jesus said this, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Remember where that's at? That's in Matthew chapter 24, in response to the question, what shall be the signs of thy coming and of the end of the world? He says, one of the things you'll look for is this flood, this overwhelming perversion of morality and society. Boy, are we seeing that. A, a multiplication of iniquity. It's as if, you know, it used to be that societies, cultures were anchored down to some sort of of moral values, but, but the world view, I mean, and I'm, I'm talking world view, is cut the chains that were holding the boats to those anchors, and now everybody's just floating in whatever direction they want, and the, the, the love of many is waxing cold because people are getting confused. Man, everything's gone so crazy, iniquity has abounded, and it looks as if, God, why are you letting this go on like this? Well, that's because these things are determined. God knows the Antichrist, the mystery of iniquity is already working. Man, it is going to get bad and worse. Now, I'm going to show you in just a minute what we do about that. Because it's not, we don't have to run and hide. We, 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 don't need to, we don't need to put our tail between our legs. Oh, oh, oh I just, I, I don't know what to say and do. No, we know what to say and do. But, but we know that it's going to get bad. We know that it's going to get bad. David said it like this in Psalm 18. You can just listen to it. Verse number four. The sorrows of death compassed me. Listen to this. And the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. That's just an, a godly man making an honest admission that everywhere David looked, somebody was out to get him and there were floods of ungodly men. Have you ever been out in the ocean and had a big, massive, rogue wave hit you that you weren't expecting? And it just topples you, and you don't know where, if your head is pointing north or south, right? My head's over here, my foot's, I don't know which part's going where, and it, you feel it's just complete confusion. And that's where the, where the world gets you tumbling like that. That's what a flood does. Take your Bible, come to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You guys get 2 Timothy chapter 3. Get verse 13. Let me remind you what we're talking about. <clears throat> the prophecy is, the end thereof shall be with a flood. Talking about the end of these 70 weeks. So moving in to the 70th week. What are we to expect? The end thereof should be with a flood, and unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. It is a war. There's Satan and his angels, Michael and his angels. That's a heavenly thing. That's Star Wars. 
And then there's an earthly battle going on where the Antichrist is coming against God's people, both believers in that tribulation time, the ones that miss the rapture, but they do convert after that. There will be a massive worldwide revival. Maybe the greatest revival in the history of mankind is yet to happen. It'll make the first and second great awakening look like just drops in a bucket. Thousands, tens of thousands of people getting saved all over, but then they're going to die quickly thereafter. Because to get saved means you're basically saying, I'm willing to die. Be a big deal. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. So pain, sorrow, sadness, devastation, ruin, it's going to happen. Let's see what Paul said about it. 2 Timothy two, uh, 3, sorry, verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax better and is that what it says? <laughs> it's not going to get better and better, is it? Shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Why are there so many churches? Why are there so many denominations? Why is there so many opinions? Because the devil's not going to back off and say, okay, there's the truth. I'm just going to let you find it the best. No, no. He's going to throw out as many false approaches and ideas and views and interpretations so that the truth is difficult to find. Now, I'm not saying impossible. What do we do? The Bible says that we are supposed to hold forth the word of life. Thy word is like a lamp to my feet, light to my path. What the devil puts forth doesn't shine, it stinks. <laughs> what we put forth that should shine, it's like a lighthouse. If you've ever read any books about these maritime adventures and these people that are at sea and maybe they're going through a storm and they can't see the land because it's dark and it's a cloudy night and the only thing they can see through the rain and the mist and the waves and the, they all, all they can see is that lighthouse shining. We are to be that city set on a hill. We are to be that salt, that light of the world that says, here you go. I, I know it's confusing and everything's dark out there, but here's some light. Holding forth the word of life. Now, uh, take you by, you're in 2 Timothy, so let, let's just move around in there. Look at chapter 2, verse number 3. What do we do? What's going to get tough? There's a war. Isn't that what it said in Daniel? Uh, under, the, under the end of the war. All right, there's a war. So what do we do? 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And it's a shame, but I think we've lost a little bit of that. No, no, I'm sorry. That, I, I misspoke. We've lost a lot of that in, our, in, in the body of Christ in general today. And it's, I think, I think it starts in pulpits. Because it's not a very popular message to say, hey, there's a war going on, let's go fight it. <laughs> it's much easier to say there's a rock concert going on right here in our church, let's party. Amen. It's a, lot, it's a lot more popular to ignore the abominable sins that are going on and just preach unity and love and peace and happiness rather than saying there is a war going on and it's not just a, a social justice war. That's not the real issue. The issue is sin. The issue is your soul has not been saved. Your spirit has not been born again. We, we need to, to deal with these issues. And even though they're not popular and we're going to catch some flack and lose some friends and reputations might be lost, we endure the hardness as a good soldier. A good soldier, he stands the post. 
He works with what he's been told. The commander said, this is your post. All right, well, as bullets are flying and the enemy's approaching, okay, but I've been commanded to stand my post. That idea, your flesh doesn't like that. My flesh doesn't like that. But the commander said, stand a post. Then grab a weapon and stand a post. Endure the hardness. Now, now on Sunday mornings, it's, it's cold. I don't want to go to church. I'm just, I'll, go, I'll go later. I'll... Verse 4, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a what? So you have been chosen to be a soldier. That's your calling. Every one of you. Ladies, I salute you. (laughs) You're in the army now. You've been chosen. Can you imagine that guy on the front lines? Here he is, the enemy's, enemy's approaching, and he's supposed to know this verse goes for that enemy, and this verse goes for that. And watch out, okay, watch your flank. He's approaching on the flank, and we're calling in the, you know, all the troop movements of the enemy. And, and can you imagine if somebody were in the middle of the battle? Oh, hang on, I'm getting a phone call. Yeah, hello? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, I'll be there next week. Next week, no, no, I'll be there on the weekend. Sure, sure, we'll go, we'll go. Nah, sort of thing. <laughs> I could just see the commander coming over there, picking that guy up. I hesitate to think of what he would do to him. You took a phone call in the middle of the bat. Now, guys, I'm not against taking a phone call. I'm just saying you got to be careful what you entangle yourself with. There are some things that are distracting you from the battle. Now, even soldiers have to take care of everyday life kind of things, right? They can't just be on the front line the whole time. But nevertheless, some people have forgotten about this soldiering aspect. They've forgotten that there is a war and the devil's not going to let up. So we got to stand our post, stand our ground. Look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. Second Timothy 4, verse 7. What did Paul say? I have fought a good fight. You're going to fight. You're going to fight. Some folks, the only fight they have is with their spouse, <laughs> with their boss. You know, they, they, we fight over petty things. I didn't like how you said that. <laughs> All right, soldier. <laughs> uh, really? I mean, is, is, is that, I'm not going to come to church because I don't like how he said it. <laughs> Can you imagine the drill sergeant? Get down and give me 50. Why do I got to give you 50? (laughs) Uh, My brother-in-law was a Marine. He's a retired Marine. I asked him at certain points to confirm various stories. And I I love those those stories about those soldiers. Many of you in the room, you've been through the Army. You you get it, right? But those those Marines out there in the shooting range, and they got their weapons, and and they come out there with a water hose, (laughs) and they spray them down. And he said, what, what are you doing? You're teaching them how to shoot in the rain. And then that drill sergeant gets right up behind him and says, it doesn't rain on Marines, it rains around Marines. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> but that's the mentality is I don't care if it's raining. 
I gotta fire my weapon when I'm told to fire the weapon. I fight the good fight, not when I feel like it, but because I've been chosen to be a soldier. You got drafted. It's, it's, not, it's not an elective, it's compulsory. You gotta go. Now let's join the army. Amen. Let's join the army. Let's, let's get the sword of the Spirit, which is our weapon. Let's get our armor on, and let's march boldly into battle. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the, against the foe forward into battle. See his banner go. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus. Isn't that where we started in verse 26 today? With the cross of Jesus going on before. Let's all stand, if you would. Father, help us. Lord, all of us, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I, I don't want to get weary and well-doing. And Father, the battle can be sometimes long and draining. But give us strength and grace to endure. And Father, make us into the soldiers we need to be. And show us what parts of our lives are distracting us from the real battle that's going on all around us. I pray you bless the service to come. We look forward to hearing.